He was a prison and jail chaplain for years, ministered to inmates. His work took a very dangerous turn and ultimately cost him his marriage. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhehealth.com health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof joining us from upstate new york we have tony spencer on the phone tony is oh he did prison and jail chaplain ministry work for years he also was a restaurant manager he's involved in evangelism and he's with a group called umbrella of truth and he has a podcast called the examined life tony thanks so much for being a guest on the law enforcement show very much appreciated Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. We don't get a chance to talk to chaplains who minister to prisons and and jail inmates very often. And by the way, I know for a lot of people, the correct terminology or the politically correct terminology is justice involved people and high utilizers. And I use the terms inmates and career criminals. That doesn't mean I look down on people. That's just a term I was raised with. And that's the terms I'm going to use. So, so I want to get that out of the way right now before people go, oh, my goodness, he's so rude. My wife would tell you, yes, I'm rude sometimes, but that's not the case where you have this conversation. All right. Here's why I say that, Tony, and I'm sure you can agree. You know, in policing, uh, 90% of what we did didn't involve arresting people. The 10% that did, even though they're career criminals, the vast majority were not adversarial, were not difficult, were not violent. Uh, that was a very small percentage. And I believe in our prisons and jails, a large percentage of people wouldn't be there if it wasn't for alcohol and drugs. They did something incredibly bad. They made five, they had five minutes, five bad minutes of their life made a bad decision. And then you have a very small percentage that are violent career criminals and they will hurt anybody any chance they get. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's a small percentage. So tell us, how did you wind up doing chaplain work for prisons and jails? Well, um, around 25, I was uh, newly married. I had a young son, and I converted to, I became a really serious Christian. And um, right away, people started noticing uh, gifts and encouraging me to get into preaching and teaching, and you should be a minister. 
So I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I really um, embraced that. I felt it was the goal of my life. I found my passion, my purpose. So I got into the church and I'm a all or nothing kind of person. So I wanted to do everything. So I was in every type of ministry you could possibly think of all the time and working overtime every day. And I just asked my, my senior pastor, I said, you know, Hey, what, what can I do now? What's next? What's next? He said, well, we need help down at the jail. So I went down, there was a ministry called the golden key ministry and they worked mainly in the jails in uh, New York counties and Pennsylvania, I think, too. And uh, we do, they were doing aftercare when the guys got out. So I went down, and uh, there was a chaplain down there named Dave Nuppenberg, and he kind of took me under his wing. And that's where I really learned how to be uh, a pastor and how to – that's where I really found my passion. I mean, I loved being down there. So that's how I got involved. I just, just walked in, just went, I went for it. Was it. Is it safe to say it was a vocation for you, a calling? It was, yeah. I mean, it was it was the most important thing to me. And, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a kind of an extreme personality. So if you have to take that into consideration, I don't expect people to be like me. But um, when you're in there and you're preaching to, you know, 30 people, three, you know, sermons, or you're doing one-on-one counseling and you're involved in somebody's life and you know, someone gets out and you're, you're helping them try to stay off drugs, you're getting them jobs, you're, you're teaching addiction classes. It's like you're making this huge difference in the world. You feel like you are. And then... It's almost for me, um, you know, when you go to work or you go home to your family, unfortunately, I'm not saying this is right, but it felt like I was a down from a drug or something. It, it, it felt like, well, this is this is what I have to do. That's what is changing the world. So you felt like you were involved in this huge undertaking that was uh, spiritual and eternal. And then we go back in the regular world. It was very, very hard for me to to readjust to being like just a, a bit of a letdown pizza place. A bit of a letdown being a, a family a family guy and doing these other things. He didn't he, I get a lot of people have this feeling of and I had some of this with police work. It was my calling, is my vocation, and it's that's what I felt I was born to do. Yep. And then when I came home, the humdrum of folding laundry and you know doing dishes and other stuff it wasn't an adrenaline rush. It just didn't seem vital. I'm not saying it wasn't. It's a vitally important part of, of our situations is our part of our relationships. It's huge. Well, you understand then, but that's, there's an effect on that on your family because uh, whether you say it or not, your actions speak louder than words and your wife and your kids, they feel like we're second, you know? And uh, I didn't see that. I was, you know, you're, we're all human beings, yeah, cops, uh, police, you know, police officers, pastors, we're all human beings and there's mixed motives and everything. And, you know, when you're getting pats in the back and, you, and everybody's telling you how much you're helping them and, you know, it's just, it's an adrenaline rush and it's a high. And uh, you just, I just didn't see around me the people that I should have been paying more attention to and protecting more. So you were getting some feedback at home. You were getting some blowback. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I would meet these guys as soon as they got out at 12.01, you know, at night because they didn't have a place to go, some of them. I'd get them something to eat. I'd give them money. I wasn't a rich guy. I was just supporting my wife and kid. And uh, I was giving them money that we didn't necessarily have. I was in parts of town that I shouldn't have been in with guys that probably were doing illegal things that if I got with them, you know, I could have gotten in trouble. I was bringing literally rapists, murderers, child molesters over to my house. And my wife was like, my first wife was like, I'm scared. I'm frightened. And I was a zealot. You know, I was just crazy. And I would say, 
oh, if you, you know, if we believe in God and we trust in him, he'll protect us, you know, but that, that's not good for a mom and her kid to hear. That's not what she wants to hear. And I shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been so dismissive of her fears. And I was just spending all this time in Bible studies, addiction groups. And, you know, it was like, well, when, what time do we have? And my little son, my oldest son, now he's 23, you know, he came everywhere with me and we were very close, but it was hours of him waiting and listening to me talk. And it sure wasn't that fun for him. You know, this is one of those subjects where I have to tread lightly and because it's so easy for being misconstrued. I'm a firm believer in this. People hear what they want to hear. It doesn't matter what you say. And you said earlier, actions speak louder than the words. Putting it all in a line and, and doing what you feel is God's bidding for you, your vocation to try to help people is admirable. I get that she was afraid. I understand the threat that she may have felt for her safety, for the children's safety, and and that she may have felt deprived and maybe even uh, coming in second place. Oh, big time. Well, and considering too, that I wasn't a very religious person uh, up until that point, I was a, when we first met, I first met my first wife, you know, I was a heavy metal rocker guy. I just cared about partying and, 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 and doing drugs and drinking and, uh, having this rock star lifestyle. And, um, I wasn't really out to cause trouble or hurt anybody, but I just was not very considerate. And then when I got, when I, when she got pregnant, we got married and had a kid and I thought, well, I got to straighten my life up. You know, I got to be a father. I can't be this irresponsible guy. So I chose, religion, I got into Christianity and it changed drastically my whole life and my whole focus. So and, you went from one extreme to another. Is that fair to say? Oh, big time. And and so I've always tried to understand break. that. We return, we're going to talk more about Tony's vocation and the dangerous turns it took. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are going to take a short break. I promise you, we'll be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. It's our conversation with Tony Spencer on the Law Enforcement Show. Tony is an interesting guy. Let's just say this. He's an evangelistic Christian. For many years, he spent... His vocation involved ministering and being a chaplain in prisons and jails, and that took a pretty profound effect on him, his marriage, and his family life. Uh, Tony, I appreciate you talking about these things. They're not, we never have easy conversations on this show. This one, you know, there's, you even admitted it earlier. There's some wreckage of your past before you you became a Christian, 
Then as a result of your chaplaincy and ministry, there's also some wreckage and it negatively, negatively impacted your family life, didn't it? Oh yeah. You know, and I, I would like to, you know, it's hard to, um, sometimes people's egos get in the way, but I, I just would like to try to give some advice to someone maybe who had kind of approached the way I did. Maybe they could help them avoid some of uh, what I went through. Okay. Uh, what was the end result of your first marriage? You said that earlier. So I'm assuming uh, it ended in divorce. Yes. After about 10 years, um, I found out she just basically, uh, it was pretty strained. And she said that she just didn't want to be married to a pastor anymore. She didn't, that wasn't, she wasn't interested in that. And she moved on with somebody else immediately. And I kind of, at that point, no pity party, but I lost pretty much everything. Um, you know, I, I really couldn't function in the ministry. Uh, I was Basically, I had suffered from back and forth from depression most of my life. So at that time, when that happened, uh, it threw me for a loop. I, I really considered, you know, taking my life. I, I was, my job suffered. Um, I didn't want my son to have to leave his house or move. So I basically lived in my car and gave her everything so he could live there. It was a whole, I just, it was a whole destruction of everything that I had thought was happening. Uh, I think it's safe to say you never thought it would turn to this, did you? No, no. I, I had this idea that uh, because I was, I guess I thought I had a deal with God. I thought, <laughs> oh, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to put everything on the line. And all I want is my wife and my kid. And I just want this, you know, this, this dream of, of life full of purpose and meaning. And, you know, and I thought that if I did my part, God would do his part. And I'm not saying God doesn't do his part, but his part isn't always what, <laughs> what we think it's going to be. Exactly. Necessary. I, there's an old saying, by the way, I forgot to mention, uh, Tony has a podcast called The Examined Life. Be sure to check it out. It's about self-reflection and self-examination. I have a couple rules of thumb. And, you know, I I don't get into spiritual competition or comparison. Uh, I'm very spiritual. I'm very religious in a lot of ways. Uh, Compared to some people, not so much. But here's the rules of thumb I, I learned. God will do for me, which I cannot do for myself, but he will give me a pickaxe and shovel and expect me to do all the heavy lifting. You know, he, he won't do for me what I can't do, what I can do for myself. He gave me certain talents and and skill sets to use. The other one is nowhere was I expected to lead with a chin, you know, and get popped all the time That, that for some reason, when I was a younger man, I thought that proved my piety. And what it did is it set me up to be victimized quite often. Oh, certainly. Well, you know, there's, uh, in Christian terms, we have what we call a sinful nature. And that nature is very selfish. It it loves applause. It loves pats on the back. It loves to be a martyr. It loves attention. So you're still a human being, even if you're serving God. And the thing is, is you've got to be careful because, you know, when you're up there and people are looking at you and you're preaching and everybody's looking at you and you're helping all these people, you start to, and then, even, you know, even the suffering of, of working 50 hours at the restaurant and then working 40 hours at the church, you think, you know, you get this martyr complex and uh, it really can feed into it. And uh, you got to be careful. I always say there's mixed motives and I guess you're right about, you know, um, God, you know, if, if he calls you to suffer, you suffer. But if he doesn't, you don't try to take it on yourself. That's uh, that's, that's what I have to be careful of, Tony. Sometimes I can imagine I'm on the right plane doing the right thing. And it's uh, purely self-driven, self-centered motives. I want to go back in, in your chaplaincy for the jails. You had a case where, in particular, this one guy 
had convinced everyone that he was not a threat. He was not a bad guy. What was he in prison for? Um, see, his name was Lee. I won't give last name. And, you know, it was kind of vague uh, what his charges were, but I think it had to do with uh, some kind of violent assault. And it was a third third offense. He was going upstate for um, a serious amount of time, a very long time. Like this was over for him. He had been in and out of jail his whole life. He had this horrible past of abuse and just crime. And, um, you know, we were working with him in the jail and the jails are interesting because you work in the jail, you're working with a lot of these idiot kids that are just on drugs and got in trouble and their life's kind of messed up. And then you also have hardcore offenders that are waiting to go up to to the prison for a long time. Right. He was one of these guys and we met him and started talking to him and he was really smart and he was a manipulator. And you, you know, you know, these kind of people, you worked with people, they're brilliant at manipulating you and they know what you want them to say. And if you're a young pastor in the jails, you got to be careful because they, some people are very smart and they're very manipulative and they can tell what they, what you want them to say. And they'll lead you down this road to get you to try to do things for them. Um, even if it's just for, the, for you to think about them a certain way. Well, anyways, in the course of this whole thing, something happened in his case that threw the whole thing out. So of course, I'm not trying to get down in the church. <laughs> I'm really not telling you, but people sometimes interpret everything. They think that they know what God is doing and exactly what everything is. And that's a big mistake. So anyways, it's a miracle. This guy's getting out. He's a Christian now. This is a God did this miracle. So he came out and he was in everybody's houses. I mean, people were giving him money and clothes and food and he was hanging out and he was getting involved and everybody was really trying to support this guy. And he became pretty close to a lot of people. But um, eventually, he got involved in a relationship, which I find that that seemed to happen most. Uh, when guys got out, I worked with girls too, but you know, mainly the guys when they got out, they love God until they found a significant other a lot of times. And so I don't want to sound jaded, but that's kind of what happens. Their affection really wasn't for a higher power, for God. It was for for loneliness. And then when they find somebody, they think completes them. So now anyways, he got involved with this girl and then he kind of just went wild. And then she did something he didn't like and he ended up stabbing her and killing her. And, um, he was on the run. And so I, I was, I was, uh, I had just gotten, uh, just going through the divorce. We were separated. I was hoping to get back with my wife and I was living in this apartment over on this weird side of town. And, uh, I was kind of working things out and I got a call and it told me that he was on the run and everybody's looking for him. I said, all right. So I got out, there was a knock on the back door, which was strange. So I kind of went back and it was him and I was scared. I mean, I'm not a wimp, but I, this guy is a seriously uh, violent person. And so I was worried, but I opened the door and I asked him what he wanted. He said, listen, I, I need some money. And I didn't know what he was going to do. And I'm just, I'm, I've always kind of looked back on it. So I'm a little, I'm a little ashamed of my cowardice, but I, I said, well, listen, I'll give you money. I'll give you like, I got 15 or I got 20 bucks on me. I'll give you 20 bucks, but I'm going to call I said, you got to turn yourself in. I'm going to, as soon as you leave, I'm going to call the police. And he said, okay. So he left. He gave him the money and he laughed and then I called the police and they ended up catching him, but man, it was a scene. I mean, was, We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Tony Spencer. There's more to his story as being a prison or jail chaplain and his ministry and how it affected him and cost him his marriage. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Flint 
Greenstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Tony Spencer. Uh, he is connecting with us from upstate New York. He worked as a jail and prison chaplain, as a minister for a very long time. He uh, is all still involved in evangel- evangelism. He is with a group called Umbrella of Truth. He has a podcast called The Examined Life. It's about self-reflection and self-examination. Be sure to check it out, The Examined Life. For with their break, Tony, you talked about this guy, Lee, and you said something that's really important. You said, in my opinion, you kind of are critical of yourself. I was a bit of a coward. I don't think that's fair. I think you did what you need to do at that point to survive. He showed he's clearly a violent person, and you decided you didn't want, did not want to engage in violence. You gave him some money. You told him to call the police, and you did that when he left. Correct? Yes. All right, so can we put that part about the cowardice to bed? Because it really, I don't think it frames you in the right perspective. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I would actually, I'd advise somebody in my, that same circumstance to just do what they got to do to get out of this situation. So you're right. Yeah, look, I've got sisters. And one of the things I train my sisters and my daughters to do is, and I'm a, I'm a big guy, is if you are confronted with a really threatening situation, use physical force to incapacitate, incapacitate the guy, then run. Don't hang around. Use whatever you need. And by the way, the most important weapon you have is your brain. Use your brain. Hmm. If your brain tells you, I'm not going to fight this guy. I'm going to give him 20 bucks and I'm calling the police. I think that's a smart move. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. So he left. You gave him some money. You called the police. Was he apprehended shortly thereafter? Yeah, he wasn't gone for long. They finally found him. But I mean, the scene when they found him, he, he acted like an animal. Uh, apparently, they had him in the cell. He was throwing his feces at everybody. I mean... Mm-hmm. He just turned into this wild animal, and it was so startling to to see someone who was, uh, you know, you just thought one thing, and then to see him act like a raging animal. But last time I knew, he was in Attica, and uh, actually seen him when I was visiting a different prison, a different inmate. Uh, he was there, and I said hi to him, but it was a different demeanor. You know, there wasn't anything to get from me or any anything else, so he was very cold, very very uh very cold he didn't cold need eye. you anymore that's right and i you know that's the thing is that uh another victim of this thing is, of course my family suffered because of my own actions but you know another thing uh, i think ministers and people in this have to understand is that you're going with an ideal and you're going to teach you know everything 
And then you get hit again and again and again by people lying to you, people returning. I mean, I don't know how many times the guys came back over and over and over again, people getting out. I, I literally just myself, not just the whole ministry, but I mean, I took, got hundreds of guys to go to church and none of them stayed. Um, very rarely does anybody. So I'm not saying people don't change your lives. I'm just saying I got an appreciation for the ones that really do. And um, also you have to temper with wisdom, your enthusiasm, because you start to get, you could get jaded. You could start to think that God isn't working in people's lives that, that uh, you know, all the promises aren't true. And I guess you, part of the good process, you get disabused of the notion that you're doing anything because That's you can't. That's a, a crucial point. And I'm going to borrow something from 12 step fellowship programs that, Oftentimes, people complain. They work with people, they work with people, they work with people, and the successes are very, very minimal. Most of the people they work with don't make it. They they go back out and they die, whatever it might be. And the answer is, you're still here, you're still sober, you're still living a good life. And is that a fair assessment for you? Yeah, that's fair. It really is. So even all these other people you spend so much time working with, working on, working for... They didn't turn out the way you thought, but you're still here. You're still in the fight. Yeah, uh, wiser and a little bit sad. A little bit, you know, a little, I, a little bit wiser, not leading with the chin as much. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, it's a it's a fine line to walk between becoming a jaded uh, person who just uh, writes everybody off, uh, and you know, you don't you want to have an open heart. You want to have an open. Um, mind, and you also want to have hope for people. Um, you know, the, the eternal question for me is, you know, these, this question was, is, you know, are you, are you basically how you were raised or can you really change? And I think that, you know, uh, I think people are more how they are raised than I used to think they were, but uh, there's a few out there. You can't ignore them that uh, literally changed. And I got a lot out of working with people, and I learned a lot about God and myself and that. So there's it was a lot a of positive. people that, that change their lives, that truly are rehabilitated, and they made choices. Here's where yeah. it boils down to. I believe each of us has to make a decision. Is this path I'm going on in life the one I wanted? Is this the one I work for? And if the answer is no, then I have two choices. Continue on to the miserable end or do things differently. That's it. Yeah. Well, I also found uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned, and I would pass this on to anybody who wants to be in ministry, is, um, you know, trust trust that you what you believe is true, but also look for the people that are wanting to change the people that need help because um, you know, everybody seems to be trying to pack people in churches. Don't want to be there, get people in Bible studies that don't want to read, you know, help people that don't want to be helped. And, and, no, nobody's helped by any of that. Yeah. I think things are worse by them, worsened by that. Did if you, you go find through, someone, did you go through more incidents like this? Like there was this character Lee? Oh yeah. I mean, I had guys steal from my house. Um, guy stole my kid's bike. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, you got to laugh sometimes. I'll tell you a funny story if you want. Yeah. Just to give you an idea. So this guy gets out and he goes to one of these little houses that has three bedrooms and they all share a living room and a kitchen. So they're all it's like a halfway house. And so I go there when he gets out and I'm asking him, I'd say, hey, you, you know, what would you like uh, to get you for groceries? You know, make a list. So the other two guys, I don't even know who they are. They out of jail from somewhere. And I've been working with this guy for months. So they hear me. So they come up and I give him the guy, you guys give me a list. He says, Hey, if you buy me some soda, I'll come to church. <laughs> 
I get, I, you know, to this day, I don't really remember what I, I probably bought it knowing me. I probably bought the guy soda, but I was always thinking back on that. It's just, that's some of a lot of how you're treated. It's about what you can do for them. Can you contact this person for me? Do you have money? You know, as soon as you stop doing stuff for a lot of people, and that's kind of the, how you can tell. You don't have a magic wand beforehand. I think that's a danger, too. You can't always tell with people. But uh, I should have told him, hey, I'll give you soda, but you can only drink it at church. That way, <laughs> that way, <laughs> he'd actually come to church to drink his soda. But, you know, that's how I had another lady. Uh, her name is Mary. Uh, what a good girl. I mean, she was uh, young, early 20s. She was a nurse. Got in trouble taking drugs and got hooked. She got fired and lost pretty much everything. Had a little girl. And she come to the jail and she worked with her. I got her a job. But then she ended up her son being with some loser that hit her in the head with a baseball bat, cracked her head open. So she missed the job. Um, so she lost that job because she was in the hospital. And then um, she just couldn't get off drugs no matter how much hard she tried. And she ended up overdosing, you know. And uh, another guy named James, uh, you know, when he was in there, he was a smart, smart guy. Great to talk to. I talked to him for hours, for months and months. Every time he'd get out, though, he'd get back into taking meth, and he'd be crazy. If he'd seen him in the street, he'd run into the woods. He thought he, the FBI was chasing him. He was just crazy. And um, eventually, he just couldn't take the shame that he couldn't get off this drug, and he hung himself. Yeah. You know, and that's that's just like there's 20 other stories like that. That's, it starts to, that's the reality, the, the stark reality. One of the other sayings I have is uh, people in particular that have problems with substances, whether it be alcohol, any kind of drug, Look, if they're breathing in and out, there's still hope for them. Don't yeah. judge them by their past failures. They, they, the miracle might be five minutes away, we always say. However, many of these people, they wind up in jails, institutions, or death. And there, there's no way of sugarcoating this. One no, of the things you want, you said that I think is very important, it, it, I want to be judged by my best behavior and the worst circumstances. Uh, not my worst behavior where I have two or three bad minutes of my life. And it's so easy to judge people by a few minutes minutes uh, of yeah. making bad choices. So all those people that I gave sodas to or back when I used to smoke, give a cigarette to, whatever it might be, it didn't matter if they turned around and they, they did drugs afterwards or they did robberies or whatever it was. I'm judged by how I behaved. Uh, and ultimately, I got to look at this guy in the mirror every day. And when I go to bed... I sleep well for that reason. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We're turning our conversation with Tony Spencer in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow we'll see you there are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts head to letradioshow.com click be heard and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one also available on our free app all at letradioshow.com Return conversation on the Law Enforcement Today Show with Tony Spencer. He is contacting us from upstate New York. He spent many years as a jail chaplain. He is also a restaurant manager at the time. He's still an evangelical Christian, and he works with a group called Umbrella of Truth. He has a podcast called The Examined Life. Check it out. It's about self-reflection 
and self-examination. I want to go back to our conversation before we went to break. We're talking about this guy, Lee, and all the time and energy you put into the emotional energy. Did you feel betrayed when he turned around and was still a violent killer? Yeah, I felt like a fool, too. You know, I, I felt uh, a real foolishness. Um, that's what I, I really felt. I felt foolish. And I felt bad, too, because, you know, uh, the jail ministry, prison ministry, that's not your typical. So you're kind of like this uh, outcast in the church. I mean, not people will support you and like you, but they're kind of scared of what you do. And they're, and they're scared of some of the people you bring in. <clears throat> and so when each guy would come in, if he took advantage of somebody, if he uh, touched somebody, if he did something, you know, I felt semi-responsible because I, you know, I felt like I was bringing them into this church with a bunch of, you know, people that were very trusting and naive. And so, yeah, I did. I felt uh, guilty I, and I felt foolish. I, w- I want to I want to explain this. I don't believe this, but I'm asking you, did you feel like you enabled their bad behavior? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever enabled it. Um, I, I put myself in some situations that I shouldn't have been in. You know, if you're in a car with some guy and he's got drugs or he's just, just on the run, you know, if you get in, pulled over. I mean, the police officer might not know. I mean, you can't just pull out your pastor card and they're just going to believe you. <laughs> you're not involved in any of it. You know, I was in a lot of houses where they're doing drugs and a lot of uh, inappropriate things going on. And, uh, you know, I put myself in a lot of danger, but I, I, I was never there to coddle them or to make, you know, that's one thing I did like. And I noticed that it was interesting. Um, you know, you have to earn police officers and guards respect. And some you don't ever because they just look at the ministry as um, some of the guys coming in there. Some of them really just think that you're this liberal, uh, you know, want to help people that are taking advantage of other people. You just you're just want to enable victims, uh, you know, these guys to be victims. And, you know, they don't like what you're doing in there. And, they, and it endangers them. I mean, I don't know how many fights you had in, in the especially the girls, they were worse than the guys, but how many fights broke out? The guards had to jump in there and to stop the fight. And, you know, they're taking guys out of their cells and bringing them down, which leaves chances for them to attack each other. So some of them looked at you as if you're making their job harder and what you were doing wasn't really helping anything. And, uh, you had to kind of earn their respect if they, cause they would listen to what you were saying and they had to see how you were, um, the kind of things you were saying. If they, if they saw you were literally calling people to a higher way of living and calling a people to, um, you know, to change and, and not, uh, not, uh, enabling them to stay the way they were, then, you know, over the years you get some respect, but, um, you had to earn that. And, uh, I always felt for police officers, you know, if I was at a house with a pro officer or police officers, they came in with this, you know, they didn't know who I was and they didn't know who those guys were. They were there and they had to take care of themselves and they had to try to manage the situation. So I never, ever put it off on them. I always thought I was helping society by, um, trying to help someone get out of their life of, of criminal uh, criminality. For what it's worth, Tony, I had to prove myself as well. And I, yeah, that was in police work. When I was a rookie at the Academy, no one really wanted to talk to you. They, they did their jobs. Don't get me wrong. But until you proved your metal and where your heart was, and I know someone right now is thinking they're talking about corruption and all that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they really want to make sure you were honest, you had integrity, and you weren't backing down when you didn't have to, when you shouldn't. That's what they're looking for. And when you earn their respect, you had it. 
until you violate it. And don't ever violate it. No. Man, when I, if you, if I, when I earned some of those guards respect, uh, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me because they didn't give it easy and they'd seen the worst. Uh, I mean, I, I, I sometimes guards get bad raps. Uh, they really do. But oh, yeah. man, I tell you what, that is a hard, and, and a police officer too, what a hard job to be involved in some of the, the worst behavior in all of life all the time. Well, the he thing locked about, in this <laughs> crazy. The, the thing about the corrections officers, and I say it all the time, I couldn't do it. The noise alone yeah. would drive me insane. At this point in my life, I couldn't handle it. And it takes someone as a very special person that does that because it's them. They don't have any weapons and they deal with inmates all the time. And they deal with the worst of the worst, at least with police work. I got a chance to get a break every now and then. Yeah, uh, that's you're locked in there with them. <laughs> it must be. I know when I we go down and do one on ones, which is the counseling, and usually it was guys that would put in to see talk to a minister, or you call somebody down if they knew you, and then you were in this little booth and you divided uh, each side. And um, I know how many times I'd be in there waiting for somebody else to them to bring somebody else down. Sometimes hours you're in there, and uh, they would just somebody would be freaking out, going crazy. They'd just throw them in the other booth with me. He say, "Tony, talk him down, calm him down." Yeah, <laughs> it would be something that's not interesting talking to a minister at all. But there are some of the most interesting conversations. <laughs> so, going back to your earlier part of the conversation, while you're doing this, you're married, you have children at home, and it was starting yeah. to really have a profound impact on the quality of your relationship at home, didn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you got to spend time with someone, and you have to have similar interests. Um, your life had to be going, and and this is something they, you know, in the ministry they they talk about this, but and this isn't anybody's fault. I took it, but I would warn people if you're going into something like this, if you're a young minister, don't take responsibility, don't take position until you're older and wiser. And because, um, you know, they say that your wife should be on board, uh, you, that you really can't be a pastor without your wife being there. And that's, I really, that is true a hundred percent because, you know, if you're, you're running around doing your thing, but they're not supporting you, you're just separate all the time. And if you don't have a life that is going in the same direction, you can't possibly be close. And she was telling you she had concerns. She was fearful. Oh yeah. I and mean, she wasn't a very outspoken person. And so she would say things, but I was so hard headed and so uh, fixated on my purpose and meaning that I thought um, I really couldn't hear the extremeness of it until she was done. And we even did uh, marital, marital counseling uh, just with our pastor, but I didn't even think that was serious either. And he didn't, he was as kind of as blind as I was. So she just, you know, Oh yeah, everything's great. You know, and it never really fixed anything. So by the time it was over, she had already moved on. That was it. And how long did it take you to, uh, I hate this term, bounce back after that? Um, I would say I was a real rough shape for at least a year. And about a year and a half, two years after I... Um, you know, I I still believe in God, but I wasn't practicing any kind of ministry. I I was kind of a jaded, upset person. I, I kind of felt that God had let me down. Uh, this is not true, but this is how I felt. I felt like he didn't fulfill his part of the bargain, so I was kind of silly. Even my son saw it. He said, it's not God's fault, Dad. And I said, yeah, I know. But I was mad, and I was learning. And it took me about a year and a half, two years, and then I I met my, my current wife now, and... um we uh, started dating and fell in love, and she had two children from uh, 
that of her own, they were only four. So I adopted them and we got married and, um, I tried to do it all over again. You want to hear how stupid I was. I tried, I started it all over again. I got back into ministry and, but my wife now is not shy. I mean, she is very vocal and she keeps me good. in line. You tell her I said good for her. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I don't want anyone that I don't know over this house. So she put a, but she was able to draw boundaries and tell me when I was going crazy. We've got about so 90 honestly, seconds left. I want to really quickly cover your podcast. What is it oh. called and what is it about? Well, it's really, um, you know, when I did those one-on-ones, I used to talk to people for an hour, hour and a half at a time for months. And we used to get into the most interesting, uh, detailed conversations. And I've always been fascinated by why people believe what they believe. Uh, what do they think about their own thoughts? How do they come to conclusions? What standards do they use for their morality, for their purpose, their meaning in life? How do they deal with thoughts and emotions? It's a real deep dive interview as I do. They're about an hour to two hour long. And um, they're, it's not about famous people. It's about everyday person that's walking down the street, young, old, women, men, all different walks of life, levels of education. I want to know it's about them and about their story and about what they believe. And I'm fascinated about how people put their identity together and their purpose. And it's called The Examined Life. Where can people find it? Well, if you go to Spotify, if you look up The Examined Life by Anthony Spencer, uh, you should come right up. I'm on Anchor. Um, I also have a Facebook page, The Examined Life. And um, yeah, that's it. Anthony, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for being guest on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.